Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a good friend of mine, and he brings a point of view that's not usually brought in this business. He spent eight years bookmaking in Costa Rica, and he's a native uh, of Costa Rica, and his, his uh, family, part of his family is from Costa Rica, and he brings a unique perspective to the business that is not seen by many people today, but it's, it's, it, it's touched me personally because this is how I became successful by betting into Sportsbook in Costa Rica. He also is currently active on Twitter, keeping tags on the latest developments of the industry. Please welcome Alfonso Straffen. Alfonso, thanks for coming on, brother. Hey, thanks, Spanky. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, it's been a, a very pleasant surprise to see the folks you've had on uh, your podcast, and I'm honored to be here uh, to be able to kind of share uh, the same venue. Awesome, brother. So let's just start from the beginning. How was life growing up? Well, the short answer is all over the place. I was born in Mexico to a Mexican father, a Costa Rican mother. Uh, she left him and would end up remarrying three times. My two sisters and I were raised pretty much back and forth between the U.S. and Costa Rica. Uh, my mom, she eventually became a single mother and, you know, struggled with, with alcohol and, you know, a lot of financial hardship at that point going forward. Um, by the time I had finished high school, you know, I had attended 18 different schools. We, we tended to travel or move around quite a bit. My, my two sisters, they ended up dropping out when they were 16, only getting through ninth grade, they got pregnant. And, um, you know, sorry to start it off as a Debbie Downer, but hey, this was for me growing up in a nutshell, you know, and we all have these kind of scars and I can't run away from them. Now, a few good takeaways from all this is that I grew up speaking fluent English and Spanish, you know, and that's a skill that in, in due course would come in handy. Uh, you know, you're multicultural. That's a good thing, too. And, you know, and then, you know, when life gives you comforts and takes them away, it humbles you and makes you appreciate the little things. And that can be a big source of resolve if you can channel it properly. You know, I, I that's not to say I, I didn't rebel. You know, I did, you know, have my ups and downs growing up. But um, at the end of the day, I just realized that for me, getting an education was only going to was going to be the only shot I had. And looking back, you know, I played sports growing up. Um, that kept me healthy, kept me out of trouble. Uh, I used to dream big, you know, following the pros, uh, you know, wanting to be an athlete one day, those kind of things. But hey, uh, you know, the time came to go to college, started off as a chemistry major in University of Costa Rica. And uh, it was at that point, you know, when, when I embarked on my career that I needed a job. I think it's incredible because, you know, the one thing that stood out for me was you said 18 different schools. Um, that's a lot of different schools to go into. So, you know, guys that go to those type of schools, they're either very, very social and they just know how to get along and make friends easily, or they're kind of to themselves because they're just not used to, you know, you can't make a friend. It's hard to keep friends. So I think you're obviously the former. You're able to, you know, when you go into a room, Fonz, you know, a lot of people will say, well, look, Afonso, I, I think you light up a room and you have such an outgoing personality. And I think that 
you know, were going to all these different schools might have hurt uh, some people. I think it benefited you and it was able to to expand on your uh, to be able to have your personality come out and for you to be as outgoing as you are. Would you tend to agree to that? I, I do. And, um, you know, it's curiously, I, I'm very much an introvert in many ways. Um, but yeah, having to move around so much, I had to step out of my comfort zone many times to reach out to people, to make friends, um, you know, growing up without a dad, you know, I always kind of try to find an alternate father figure and, 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 you know, folks and, and, and people that I would come become close to over, you know, the course of my life. But yeah, I think it's, it's not the most comfortable thing for me to do, but at the end of the day, um, I, I certainly think that I've managed to overcome, the, you know, the that aspect and tend to try to be as fairly social as possible with folks and, you know, just have an open mind. You know, I, that's that's the bottom line. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you're going to college, um, you know, you're, you're going to college, but you need a job. You want to be able to get some type of income. Um, how do you, how, how did you get involved in the business, in the industry? So this is, um, this is back in 2000, roughly. And I'm, I'm 19 years old. You know, I, I actually dropped out of high school one year and you know, whatever I, I ended up finishing, that's fine. But, um, you know, I was looking in the papers and I kept seeing ads for sports books, needing English speaking clerks, you know, and they were paying like three to $4 an hour, that kind of a thing. And Hey, I'm like, I speak English. So let's give these guys a call and see what this is all about. I had no clue what sports betting was, or, you know, really what the entire industry flourishing in Costa Rica at the time was doing. So anyway, I was asked to stop by for an interview and I guess I did pretty well. They pretty much offered me a job on the spot yeah, offered me, I think it was like $4 and a quarter. And, you know, I was stoked. That was, that was great. Um, this, this was a shop over, in, I don't know if you remember the Equus building over in San Pedro. Uh, yeah, I, re sounds... I remember it very well. I remember that whole San Pedro yeah. area. Um, yep, absolutely. So, so you know, this was, this was right around the start of baseball season. Um, they were just hiring some folks. Uh, it was right across the street from my college and, you know, it was just, you know, the flexible kind of a job that I needed. Um, and, you know, I thought it was going to be fun because I grew up watching U.S. sports. And so I understood the underlying product, understood the rules of the game. Uh, but again, I didn't know a lick about gambling on sports. Now, oh, um, how was the training like? Who trained you? Where did you get your start exactly? Yeah. So, I mean, they had a introductory class and, you know, clerk training, if you will. Um, it was kind of, you know, pretty, pretty easy, you know, straightforward kind of a thing. I, I want to say the, by the end of the first week, they had me on calls, taking bets, you know, with another clerk kind of overseeing my performance. Um, you know, I, I, there must've been maybe about five or 10 other, other folks in, in the class that I was being indoctrinated with. Um, now for your listeners, this is important. I think, you know, that might not be aware, but I just want to describe the setting here because, you know, you know, bookmakers started to head offshore in the 90s. And in fact, I think some might have done it even earlier out to like the Dominican Republic or something. But, you know, bettors back then would call their bets in, right? And that was kind of like how the business was being run historically too, stateside. So this call center now that I was getting into, you know, we had rows of phone operators or, or the clerks that, you know, as they're known as or ticket writers, uh, you know, they'd pick up you know, uh, ask for your account, password, give you a rundown, take your bets, that kind of a thing, right? Um, and, you know, th this was 
the setup that you had rows and at the very front you had your stage. That's how we called it. Um, that's where you had your line managers or, or traders. Um, they would be sitting facing the clerks and your first row was always um, where you had your best clerks. That's kind of the, the folks taking sharp or VIP action, those kind of a things. It facilitated the communication between the guys on the stage who would subsequently have to move your lines and what have you. Um, Another thing for folks to keep in mind is like, you know, we had computers, this is early 2000 and ticket writing software, and that made our job easier. But before that, I mean, the clerks back in the day, I mean, they were handwriting stuff left and right. Um, and it was, you know, that was grueling work to say the least. Um, but anyway, uh, that's just a little context for folks to kind of understand, you know, everything pretty much now you, you bet online. I mean, you could still call in plays, but I, I think that's the minority of people doing that. So what percentage, uh, what percentage would you say when you first started in 2000, what percentage, what, what was the percentage of the bets online versus on the phone? Oh gosh. Did you take a guess? Oh man, I would, I would probably say, I mean, 2000, I mean, people weren't as savvy using the internet or getting online. People were probably apprehensive of logging onto I don't know. I mean, I would probably say 80% of 90% of people were betting over the phone still. That's just my guess. No, I I personally was betting, you know, we, you know, there was a time in which Pinnacle was, was was taking bets over the phone back then. That's why I was coming up in a business as well. So um, Pinnacle even had a phone operation. I don't remember. I think W62, but it was rarely used. Um, the, The main reason I think, people would use the phone is because you, you know, and tell me if you agree with me, Fonz, is that guys would get higher limits on the phone. So the, the limits on the internet back then weren't that great. Is, is that true? Do you, remember? you know, I think, I think that's a fair, that, that, that's a fair statement. I, I know there was a time when, you know, just in a general, like you, you just online, you weren't able to get the kind of limits that you could over the phone. Um, I think, you know, folks going online, you know, double popping and those kind of things, you know, became prevalent, uh, you know, but when you're on the phone, I think there was a little bit more control over, over, you know, who's betting what and how much. Gotcha. Um, you're able to move accordingly. So, yeah. so you're, you're getting this training now. Um, yeah. You're, you're one of the few clerks that, do, that, that actually says Yankees, not Jankies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was always something that I always knew. Uh, bookmaker said, if the guy can say Yankees, you know, you pay him double because uh, then you know, like he's really good at English. So, um, so how is that now? You, you know, do you as do you go up the ranks pretty fast or what? So yeah, I I, um, I started to meet people, you know, involved in the industry. Um, you know, going out, hanging out, those kind of things, um, and. I want to say I got through most of the baseball season, but come football season, I met a gentleman um, and, you know, a bookmaker from Texas, and they offered me a job to go help one of their retail sports book that they had um, at a couple of, at a couple of, at a couple of their downtown hotels, casinos um, that would cater to tourists, namely Americans. Um, So yeah, I, I stuck around just for maybe a baseball season and then um, that's basically when I went over to help run one of the books. Initially, it was the one at the Morazan. Uh, George, he's an older Italian fella. You know, he, he became a very good friend of mine. He passed away a few years ago. He ran the one at the Del Rey. And I would eventually move over to the sports book over at the Del Rey. Now, this is, you know, these are, this is where things start getting interesting, you know, and when, when life really starts to 
unravel itself for me. And I started seeing how the world works. You know, these were hotels only on paper, Spanky. And I mean, you know, but in reality, there was a lot more going on there that your typical tourist visiting Costa Rica was looking to do. And, you know, they weren't just spending a night at these hotels. Um, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it here for your, for your listeners, because, you know, the bottom line, you know, this is straight up raw, real stuff that I was witnessing at a very young age. You know, it was prostitution, it was gambling, it was booze, drugs. Um, you know, the prostitution was the big draw in these establishments. And I, and I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna pick on just the guys who like to fish, but, you know, a larger, large contingent of folks that go down to Costa Rica go on these so-called fishing trips, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, but many times he'd stop by at the Del Rey, you know, and uh, these are, these are little anecdotal stories, but I kid you not, you know, we had guys, you know, going down there on a fishing trip for an entire week, but would spend, you know, just one day fishing. And the rest of the time they would, you know, just stay at the Del Rey playing at the tables, chasing women, you know, and what would they would do, Spanky, believe it or not, is like some guys would take changes of clothes out on the boats. You know, they'd catch a fish, <laughs> they'd pose, take a pick. Then they would change clothes. And, you know, if someone would catch another fish and they'd pose with that pick, with that fish, you know, and take a pick. That's great. And, and it made it look like they had gone fishing for more than one day. But, you know, these were guys that, you know, were going down there just fooling around. And, I mean, you know, sad part of this is like, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of these guys were single, probably having a good time. But, you know, many times, you know, these are guys with wives and families, girlfriends back home, you know, doctors, lawyers, whatever you want. You know, I mean, it was, you know, it was just a, it was an eye-opening experience, you know. And if, you're, if your listeners Google the Del Rey, you know, just let them know that it's, you know, I'm going to let them know it's not safe for work. So just don't let the wife or your girlfriend catch you, you know. But, um, yeah, well, let, was, me, let me just comment on that because the first time I ever went to Costa Rica, obviously the Del Rey is one of the major tourist attractions. Everyone's got to see it. And honestly, it's one of those things in which it just shocked the hell out of me. I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it. Um, it. It's, you know, just to describe it to people, the way, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of further touch upon thing. It's like, think about if you're at a bar and the hottest girl walks into the bar and everybody's just looking at her and, you know, she's like, every, you just can't take your eyes off her. And, you know, she's just so uncomfortable. Now reverse the roles and that hot girl is now you. Um, and then you walk in and you have all the women just looking at you, not because you're a hot guy, it's because <laughs> you're a white guy that has money. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and it's just uncomfortable. And they just grab you and everything. It just... It's one of those things in which, you yeah. know, um, it, it's um, it's funny. It, it's like one of the funniest things. They try to make eye contact with you, and you could be having a talk with somebody, and they'll just keep staring you down until you're able to just, you know, barely look at them just to try to give them a signal for them yeah. to maybe come on over and talk to you. So it's just it, – it's, it's a role reversal, and um, it, it, to me it was just unbelievable to experience something like that. Now, you worked there, so you were able to – talk to these these yeah. working girls and, and everything else let's describe that like how yeah. was it working at the del rey yeah so you know uh, and you know and i i certainly don't ever want to come across as sounding insensitive you know by speaking about all this you know like bottom line is i have a lot of respect for for, for those ladies listen i got to meet a lot of them and you know when things were slow at the counter you know they would come up to the counter just to say hello and and you know listen i I wanted to be a kind of a person that they could speak to without feeling that they were being judged or that I wanted anything from them. You know, I'm, I'm like 20 years old, 21 years old. And I'm just 
starting to discover the world. You know, and keep in mind, I grew up in a pretty poor environment. You know, at some point, my mom became a single mom. My two sisters got pregnant when they were young. You know, so I could relate to a lot of the financial hardship and personal situations of these women because they would tell me like, yeah, I got my kids back home, you know, that they had to provide food for because, you know, their boyfriends or husbands left them, you know, or they had to support their families back in Colombia or the Dominican, wherever it might have been. You know, you know, sometimes people just want you to talk to them or want you to listen. And, you know, a lot of these young ladies, Spanky, you know, you know, they, they, they would come from all parts of the world. Listen, you know, it was Costa Rica, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Nicaragua. I mean, it was very humbling. And I I don't know if that's the word. I mean, it was, it, it, I mean, it made, it, it made you sad too. You know, bottom line, it, it really weighed on my mind at times. And, you know, there's a lot of scumbags out there in, in, in the world, you know, and, and I got to meet quite a few there, you know, and I met a lot of good people there too, you know, like, you know, but at, at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are real, real dirtbags. And um, I got to see the good, the bad, the ugly spanky by being there. Now, you remember the bar in the back was called the Blue Marlin, you know, mm-hmm. again, uh, this is a big fishing destination, that kind of a thing. Um, but that was the name of our sports book at the front. And um, I don't know if you ever had a chance to see that sports book. This is like 2000. One, two, three, four, you know, that we had the book out at, you know, in the lobby area. Um, did, did you ever see that by any chance? It, it was just a desk, right? If I recall. It was just a desk, yeah. yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, you know, listen, it was a, it was no more than 12 by 6 feet, you know. And, you know, that in fact, that black and white pic in my Twitter profile is that book. And I'm kind of just sitting there with the phone in my hand and, you know, whatever. Listen, it, it was... It, it, it was small, but, you know, we, we, we took some interesting action there, you know, um, I, I guess to give your listeners an idea, you know, I'd show up around eight o'clock in the morning, I'd fire up our computer, we'd check our figure from the previous day, start grading tickets, you know, and the way I did is I would clip the money for the winners just to kind of be able to hand them over to the guys, you know, in a more efficient way. Um, clearing the board, I would always have to do and setting up that day slate. And, you know, this is a board, like, this is not like Vegas nowadays, where you know, you have an electronic board and you, you kind of just enter whatever you want. No, I had to get up on a ladder and put plaques up there, magnetic plaques. And, you know, we had two colors, you know, and like two, we had a two sets of colors you know, for, for each team because, you know, you would alternate them on the board. And um, we had our own little Don Best, which, you know, would let me see what the world was hanging. Although at the time, you know, we did have a main office. Uh, that, you know, we used that would, we would pipe in our, our lines from there, but we could obviously manually override them if we needed based on the action we were taking, you know, and I mean, hundred bucks, you know, that was very common. I mean, that was kind of like the going rate for a lot of things in that place. Um, you know, we had our limits posted, you know, for folks to see, uh, you know, these were small, you know, maybe, I think maybe 2000 aside, you know, thousand, maybe totals or 500, whatever it was, which is a, which is a monster today, by by the way, you know, now, now keep in mind on the back end, you know, I was working for, you know, there was a bookmaker in the background, you know, who had a big business, you know, this was kind of just the front. They were trying to maybe scavenge and and garner some accounts and those kind of things. You know, Uh, I would say the, the book itself wasn't necessarily profitable, but it was, um, it was a good place to be to learn the business, you know, and I surrounded myself with people there who would come in, drop by to say hello. And, you know, I, I was a good, I try to be a good student, keep, you know, asking questions and learning as best I could, you know? Um, in fact, um, you know, this is, uh, when I was behind the counter at the Del Rey, there's a, a guy that, you know, uh, Dave horses, you probably 
recognize that Absolutely. name. Absolutely. Great guy. Um, you know, and, and to this day, he's he's been a good friend. He's always been a mentor to me. He gave me my first copy of Roxy's Manual right then and there. Beautiful. And um, I started to read up on that. And the business started to make a little more sense to me. And I liked it, you know, because it had a lot of math, you know. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm studying chemistry and, um, you know, taking a lot of physics and calculus and you name it. So, like, and that was that made the work a little more interesting for me. But um, anyway. And, and now what, 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 you know, if you don't, you don't have to say names, but, you know, the bookmaker – uh, that you were running the Delray for, what kind of guys were these? Are these well-known guys? or? Yeah, so it, it went through a few iterations, three iterations of ownership while I was there. Initially, the guy from Texas. Um, but they're short, you know, shortly thereafter, um, how do I say this? You know, it was, it was taken over by, let's say, some shrewd bookmakers, some guys that are very well-respected, um, so, you know, some guys from Arkansas. Oh, the best of the best. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I figured you would know who they are. And listen, um, now these guys, you know, they obviously had their main office. And so this was kind of just a little side thing for them, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't need to tell you how sharp these guys were um, or the kind of action they booked. But um, when they would come in and kind of just hang out and after a long day work and, you know, just maybe grab a beer, dinner, whatever, play the tables, um, you know, I could pull up a chair and sit down next to them and hear them talk. And I could ask them stories. I ask them about, you know, the business. It was a great way to learn. Now, listen, I didn't realize at the time that, you know, the caliber of these guys, um, I was very green to the business again, but um, I came to know, you know, over the course of my time in the industry, you know, just how, you know, how important those guys were. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of respect for them. Now, these, these guys that you're mentioning are, are, in my opinion, probably the best bookmaker that's, that's ever booked yeah. my bets. So, uh, yeah, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. And yeah. to be under their tutelage or to be able to spend any time with them at all is, yeah. is, is just uh, an incredible education. Okay, so where do we go from the Delray now, Fonz? Yeah, so um, let's see here. You know, I met a lot of folks. Um, that would stop in that were in the industry. Um, I basically um, befriended one bookmaker um, at some point. He, you know, offered me or, or at least helped me get a job as a line manager over at a call center that he shared with another bookmaker. You know, I was burned out, you know, this is like 2003, 2004, you know, and, and, and I, I kind of was like, I had had enough of that environment. Um, and I go work for an industry legend you know i i like to think of of him as as being one um you know he's known in the industry as mumbles yes. and um you know mumbles you know would book anyone um really anyone you know it, he'd take on any sharp any day so he's definitely an old schooler taking big bets he loved to gamble he craved positions and now his business it was a big credit shop you know with a fairly large package of players uh, but listen, the, the wrinkle in all this was, you know, this was my first time being exposed to the credit business. And, you know, that was exciting because, um, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, how credit is really all that existed prior to, you know, post up, you know, the, the, the internet, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, you had bookmakers running around offering credit to their players and, you know, they are the guys who built this industry um, on the back of their trustworthiness and credibility. You know, and um, when, when, you know, bookmakers had to pay, they paid, you know, because if you didn't pay them, I mean, you just didn't have a business. So anyway, I, I really became, I started to see just monster money for the first time because, I mean, 
um, you know, when you have credit, uh, uh, you know, you offer credit like this, you, you can do that. Uh, but anyway, um, so you're on the stage now for mumbles. Yeah. And now yeah, when you I'm, say monster action, what kind of bets are we talking about? Oh, geez, man. Let me see here. Um, listen, I, I, I'll never forget, um, the time. I mean, listen, 10, $20,000 plays from sharps were very common, if not more. I mean, in fact, I think Dave, um, horses, he recently tweeted, you know, when at one point when Bumbles was booking, um, you know, uh, a sharp, um, you know, uh, I think it was like Cal money line minus one Oh five, that kind of a thing. It was for like 200,000. And this is a sharp guy, you know, and this is something that, you know, Dave says that, um, Bernie asked, asked him like, do we have a decision? And, you know, Dave said, no, not now. And Bernie, you know, in his typical faction, like, what do you want to do? What do I want to do? And he said, fuck him. Let's go to minus 104. You know, he, he gave a minus 105. And he said, like, let's show him we don't respect him. Oh, man. You know, and we, and, you know, so, so yeah, Bernie wanted a decision and, and wanted to let him have more, basically. You know, listen, for me, like, now that I'm thinking about this, the most memorable time, you know, in that office, like on an NFL Sunday, um, I'm sitting on the stage, you know, and, and, and I was involved on the main on the main board, you know, the, the pros, you know, we, you, you had guys who dealt main sports, you know, we had a couple of guys were, you know, dealing main sports. We had a few prop guys. Now, listen, I was never like a main guy. I was always a good Lieutenant, you know, that kind of a thing, but Hey, I got to see the big action. We had eight to 10 plays on an NFL Sunday once come in for about a million dollars a pop. Oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, you know, um, you know, <laughs> the main guy on our side of, of, of the stage, you know, you know, he just completely freaked out. He's like, what the hell just happened? You know, like we had thought maybe a clerk had taken a bet by mistake, you know, but then a few seconds later, he mumbles kind of strolls out of his office and, you know, in typical fashion mumbles something about booking X, Y, Z person, you know, and they're like, okay, well, that's it, you know, and, you know, it happened a few other weeks too. I mean, that was some monster action. So, so, you know, so let's, let's just describe that. Now. You're booking yeah. million dollar action now. Yeah, these are sides too, by the way, on the NFL. So these are NFL sides, million dollars a pop. Nobody's, mm -hmm. you know, he's not laying off anything really. There's no, you know, he, he's just he's going in long with these types of positions or is he laying a little bit off? What's happening exactly? Listen, I, I don't know exactly what he was doing, who he talked to or those kind of things. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you're taking one play, that's one thing on a, you know, on a coin flip type of a side, right? He's taking 10, eight, 10 plays. So no harm done. You know, I mean, if the guy's booking one play for 200,000 from a sharp, I mean, you know, it's like for him to book eight to 10 plays at a million a pop, you know, we could all figure out the EV on that. Gotcha. You know? so it's, that's his business. He, he, he has yeah. a big business. Let's describe the atmosphere on an NFL Sunday in a 2004 oh, Costa Rican office. How deep do the clerks run? How many clerks are, 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 are picking up <laughs> calls? Does the phone ever stop ringing? Oh my God. Listen, um, let's see here. Um, you know, I think I've posted some pictures, you know, at one point I posted maybe some pictures of what a floor looked like, but listen, we had about 10 to 15 rows. I want to say with about 20, maybe 30 clerks per row, um, on a football Saturday, Sunday, uh, we would have queues, you know, we would have a full house of clerks for the most part. And we'd still have like 200 to 300 people on the phones waiting to get their bets in. 
Um, now, a little wrinkle in all this is, you, you know, the guy who, who, who introduced me to Mumbles, him, you know, he, you know, he was a bookmaker himself. They shared the floor, like the clerks, you know, amongst them, amongst like two companies, so to speak. And in fact, um, now, but these guys were strictly post up for the most part. These guys at some point would end up, you know, being bought out by Bet on Sports while I was there. Gotcha, so, which is right across the street, kind of. Yeah. But my point is, yeah, we had a lot of clerks um, and a big queues. And, and listen, when we had queues, it was like all hands on deck. Even the guys on stage, you know, would pick up the phone. I mean, we, you know, it, it didn't matter. Like, it was just right as much action as you can. You know, I mean, it was it, it was it was a madhouse. Um, you know, one thing, um, it, it, it's, uh, you know, to give you an idea, you know, another example, yes, for maybe a number. Here, here's a story I, I, I remember sharing with, you know, um, one of the owners back in the day is, um, you know, we, we were booking some guy from Europe on Bernie's side, or, you know, he was at least an Eastern European fella. You know, and, and I, my, my accent won't do him justice. I can't be as funny as the guy who shared this story with me. But um, basically, you know, we had a guy call in and it, the near, it went something like this, you know, you know, the sports, can I help you? And yes, this is ABC one, two, three, blue. Yes, blue. How can I help you? What's your line on the Yankees tonight? Um, and this is back in early 2000. The Yankees were buying absolutely every strong player out there, right? So, you know, the guy on the stage is the one taking the bet from this, this guy, right? He's like, I got the Yankees laying 280, come back 250. Then he goes, okay, give me the Yankees for 100,000. And listed her action. And uh, he says, action, you know, so keep that in mind. So it's like, like, Jesus Christ. And then, um, <laughs> You know, the guy, you know, the guy goes back to give him his readback, says, hey, please listen carefully to your readback. All readbacks are final. You got the Yankees minus 280 action, risking 280,000 to win 100,000. And the guy goes, Jess, thank you very much. And, you know, as, as the guy's ready to say goodnight to you, Blue, the guy goes, he, he answered back, wait, 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 wait. Who the Yankees playing? <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, That's funny. so two takeaways here. One is, you know, you know, we're booking a guy for some pretty big action on the Yankees. You know, and he's taking action for that matter. And then, I mean, but the guy doesn't know who the Yankees are playing. You know, so, you know, we had sharp action and we had guys like this is what I'm saying. So we could afford to take sharp action Beautiful. at the end of the day. Unbelievable. I love it. I love hearing this stuff. Okay. So um, so you learned so much from Mumbles. Um, mm -hmm. You're on the stage now. Now, this is the true education. Now, you're not, you know, just booking a dime or two at the Del Rey. You're booking hundreds of thousands of million-dollar bets now. This is big, big money. You're able to see how things go. Yeah, and listen, um, the million-dollar thing, that was kind of like a one-off thing that only happened a few weeks. But, oh, no, I mean, of yeah. course, of course. But 100 dime bets, 50 dime bets, Yeah, yeah. they all were all was, over the place. Oh, totally. Yeah. Gotcha. So you're booking big action, good action, you know, just good, solid action. You're running a good joint. Um, what happens next then? You know, Mumbles, you know, it was a sad day when he passed. You know, he, he passed away, I want to say 2006. Um, you know, we, we all took comfort knowing, though, that, you know, he died doing what he loved. He, he died at a heart of a heart attack while he was at on a trip in Vegas. He would go up to Vegas all the time, you know, and I, I think he, he was at the win at the time. I mean, one, one of the other line managers once got a chance to go up to him. Like our main line guy went up to him once to Vegas and, um, and he comes back and says, you know, like, you know, he's laying like five, 10 dimes a hand on blackjack. 
you know, up in, I guess, the high roller room or wherever they would take him, you know, but so anyway, he, he passes away. Um, you know, I start looking around and I think it, it took me a few months, but I ended up finding another shop, um, out there, another good shop. Um, and I, I'll leave the name out cause they're still around, but, um, you, 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 you would know who these guys are. Um, in fact, we used to book you there. <laughs> yeah, of um, course. Glass building. Glass building. That's right. Gotcha. No problem. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I, I landed a spot on the stage, you know, and, um, you know, another great bookmaker there in his own right. Solid team of folks on the stage. It was a great office. Um, just a good lieutenant. Again, I was. And, um, you know, and in fact, the, the head guy there, you know, he's also since retired. Him and I are still good friends. So now compare this, compare that, this new place now to the Mumbles joint. Uh, is the action relatively, you know, the same? Is it different? What, what's, you know. Are... You know, the, there was probably, this is about 2006, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there was certainly a, a, an uptick in, in, in the amount of um, post-up business in the industry. Um so I, I got to see a lot more of the post-up side of the business. Um, but we, we still booked, you know, some, we, we, we take some big bets, you know, not, not on the scale of what we were taking while at Bernie at, at Mumbles. Um, but um, I, I, I distinctly remember when we would take your bets, I, I would, we, I'd be up on the stage and, you know, you'd call in and, you know, the, the drill was like this. You would get your rundown or the number, you know, you would ask for a game, you'd get your number and you'd fire away. You knew what your limits were, right? And I mean, no questions asked. And, you know, the if, if you wanted more, that's the only time they would ping us up on the stage, you know, via, you know, they, they would submit an approval like for more money, you know, but, you know, for the most part, your bets would go right in and the clerks would just pipe up, hey, Spanky's in. Okay, Spanky's in. And, you know, we'd move our lines, you know, and, and the, it was pretty pretty simple now i'm not going to say how much kind of what kind of money you could you could tell people how much you were betting if you want but you know we we booked sharks yeah <laughs> and then, we we took pride in that and you know we we try to kind of keep our our lines tight um and use that information as best we could to our advantage and you know same thing that we did while at mumble's place so it's great to see, you know, because, and again, this is just hearing these stories and, and seeing how the business once was, you know, the once upon a time for me and for you, Fonz, you know, just to see how, you know, I, there was limits. I knew what my limits were. Everything was just so easy. And, 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 yeah. and, and these are successful businesses, you know, you can, you know, this, this company that you're talking about is still around today and is very successful and great at what they do. And, um, yeah. and, uh, it's just, it's crazy how, how, you know, the industry has changed. We'll get into that a little bit later, but no, I just wanted to follow up on that. You know, it was, yeah. it was simple back then. You knew what your limits were when you called in. I mean, you knew that the number you saw was a number you could bet into at the limits we were giving you. And if you wanted more, you simply asked and look, I mean, it would make that determination on the spot. Sometimes we could accommodate you, you know, based on, you know, how we were charting, who was betting what, I mean, it was a lot of things went into that decision, you know, but at the end of the day, our numbers and limits were live spanky. And, you know, none of this approval spin wheel BS that I see out there, you know, if a number was off at the end of the day, you know, that it was my ass on the line, you know, I was getting paid money, you know, to make sure that our lines were kept tight as best we could. So yeah, that's how that went. Anyway. Okay, so where do we go now from uh, from from this joint? Okay, how so, long do you, you know, spend? How long do you spend here? 
Yeah, I was I was there for a couple of years. Um, you know, by 2007, I kind of knew that I wanted to try something else. Um, I kind of felt a little capped as a line manager. You know, I mean, you know, I didn't think I would ever evolve into, you know, being like the main guy, you know, that kind of a thing. You know, it, it, those those seats are, are are numbered, you know, few and far in between. So, you know, my ultimate goal was to get through college, Spanky. You know, and in 2004, I ended up switching majors from, from chemistry, switched over to business. And, you know, not because my grades were lacking, but it just was the more practical thing to do. I mean, I was trying to work, you know, I, I wasn't trying. I was working 40, 50 hours a week, and I was taking, you know, 12, 15 credit hours of hardcore chem classes. You know, I mean, it was, I was driving myself insane. So anyway, um, I was naturally inclined to finance, started to learn about the market, started to read a lot about value investing, Warren Buffett. Um, you know, I thought it would be cool to work in the financial markets. And then, um, you know, along the way, in, in, I met my wife down in Costa Rica. She's an American. And the possibility of us moving back to the U.S., you know, it started to become real. And, and I just couldn't show up to the U.S. saying that I work for bookmakers. I mean, no one would hire me, right? You know, it would. So, it, so I was determined to get through college in 2008. You know, when I was done, I, I basically, you know, I said, you know, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm going to go work for a small investment firm. You know, they needed a bilingual financial analyst who could trade bonds. And, you know, that's when I said goodbye um, to a lot of my friends, you know, everything that I had come to know up until that point, you know, my lifeline, Spanky, I, you know, that those jobs, those people that I surrounded myself with, you know, that was my lifeline. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very thankful to, to, for that experience the rest of my life. Now, the transition was a bit nerve wracking. You know, I'm like 28 at the time. You know, that was my only work experience. I, you know, I took a big pay cut, you know, going to work for a Costa Rican corporation. You know, my days off were no longer falling in the middle of the week. I would finally get a Saturday, Sunday off, which was nice. But at the same time, I wouldn't be around my friends anymore. You know, and that's the one thing I really missed about, what, you know, leaving the industry is, you know, there was this camaraderie, you know, and the friendships. I mean, I, I could tell you, you know, every Tuesday for years, you know, I used to go out to La Savannah Park and, um, you know, guys you know, industry folk would go out there and play softball. You know, we played three hours straight in the morning and it was funny. The bats were hot, you know, the balls were like blue dots, you know, they were high compression balls. And I mean, the field that we would play on, I mean, these are small fields, like 275 feet at most. And I mean, we were just jacking homers. Like if it were home run derby and scores, you know, they'd go up to like 35 to 30 or something, but you know, we, you know, we were just all hanging out. It was, it was like one big brotherhood. Um, this is a side note because this is this you know because <laughs> every time I I go down go down to Costa Rica I try to play into that Tuesday softball game. That's right. Um, they still play. You're right. And, and they still play till this day. And I'll never forget. I remember one year me and Chinese Mike were playing in that softball game, and and I don't know Chinese Mike hits some type of a blooper in the center field and he tries to go for two, and he winds and 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 this field and 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 La Sabana. You know, it's not the cleanest of fields, right? And no. chi Chinese Mike is wearing shorts, and he winds up sliding into oh. second. And and, and, I, and he's all bleeding. I'm like, Mike, what are you doing, dude? And uh, Chinese Mike will probably one day tell the story, but it was just incredible because then, you know, we had all these meetings lined up. We had to stop at some pharmacy, and we couldn't speak Spanish, but all Chinese Mike had to do was just point at his leg, and they'll say, oh, okay, now we know, we know how to get it. But it's just crazy how how we just you know uh, how competitive it, you know that game you know just all for fun but it kind of brought out competition in everybody and yeah. uh, 
and uh, it's um, it, it's just the great the camaraderie, like you said, yeah. is very it's 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 great down there to be able to have a lot of the friends and and, and people that are in the business, you know, they, they kind of stick together. Yeah, and listen, I I can't remember all the you know the conversations, the little conversations that you would have, you know, but this was on a Tuesday, so you know. And this was year round. So, I mean, we would talk about Monday night football game, about the Sunday games, the weekend. I mean, it was you, you kind of just picked up little bits of, of knowledge, you know. And I mean, listen, I got out of the business in 08. So a lot of my stuff, you know, I just I lost, you know, I, I, I don't remember a lot of the stuff that I, I would obviously discuss with these guys. But, you know, you, you always walked away feeling like you knew a little more. Anyway, stuff, man, I'm loving it. So, OK, so now so, you, you, you know, you, you finished college. Um, and, and now you decide to trade bonds and yeah. how much of, of what you've learned now booking, how much of that applies to being a bond trader? How was moving back to the U S like, how's that transition? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the biggest takeaway from having worked in the industry was how it just shaped a lot, I guess, my character. And, um, you know, you develop, you know, having worked at the Del Rey, um, you had to grow up fast, Spanky. You know, you had to be, you had to stay sharp because you were just surrounded by a lot of bad stuff, bottom line. Um, and I think that translates well into any industry. You know, I, I grew up, you know, around that environment that kind of, you know, people say street smart, that kind of thing. You know, I'm not going to say I'm, you know, all that no, street no. smart. But, working, you know, at, working at the Del Rey for all those <laughs> years, you you have to become street. If you're yeah. not, become, you know, that's impossible. You either, you either get street smart or, or you know, Bad things like, happen. Yeah, like, listen, I, I mean, I'm, I don't like to, you know, I'm not just going to bend backwards and let people walk over me and the, that kind of thing. I'll push back, you know, and, and and I'll fight back if I need to. Um, but when I started working at um, this small investment firm, really my job as a trader then, you know, I had to hop on the phone and, you know, we were going through some broker dealers in Miami and, you know, I was trying to negotiate with them, you know, best execution. You know, I was trying to get the best pricing and these guys were trying to rip our faces off by marking bonds up left and right. But Hey, I could speak English, you know, and I could be quick on the phone and that kind of a thing. And, you know, so I think um, having been a line manager and just seeing how fast paced things were and in the sports betting world, that kind of equipped me a little bit to kind of be, you know, quick on the phone and negotiating trades to the best of our um, advantage, maybe, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, 2010 Spanky. Um, that's when we decided to move to the U S at this point in time, my wife, you know, we had our first son and she wanted to come be closer to her family. We settled on Charlotte, you know, a big banking hub in itself. Um, I thought it would be a good place to also job hunt. Um, but you know, it, it was tough to leave my family behind and it was tough for me to break in. Um, you know, I had no shot at the time. I just kept getting passed over. You know, I didn't have a network of people here who could vouch for me. I mean, keep in mind, I only had like two years working for that little investment firm in Costa Rica. So at that point, I decided to go to grad school. And I ended up going to Wake Forest, I, you know, just get an MBA. And, and you know, the least I could do was kind of prove I was a good egg in the classroom. You know, and I'll be the first to say, like, I, I, I could care less about three letters, you know. Um, but, you know, I just needed to do that to be able to set up a network of people. But um, anyway, a quick story here. And I, I've, I've, suggest, I've put this out on Twitter, you know, in 2012, I got to meet Warren Buffett. Now, if you go back to like 2006, you know, when I'm in, in, in college, I'm reading all about Warren Buffett, you know, he's my, he's my hero. You know, he really is, you know, and I, I, I try to learn as much as I can about value investing. Well, all of a sudden in 2012, I get to go meet him, you know, so that was kind of a dream come true for me. And, um, 
you know, the, the cool thing was I got a ride in the car with him. I was in the back seat. You know, he's driving his car and the other three people in the car, they're very tight lipped. They're not talking, but Hey, me being kind of the guy who's, you know, I'm always willing to talk to anybody. I just piped up and I told him, Hey, Warren, I, you know, I'm from Costa Rica. I work for bookmakers down there. And, you know, he absolutely loved it. He perked up and he, he answers back. Oh, really? Uh, you know, I was a bookie in high school, you know, and <laughs> I tell cool. you, and he didn't care about talking about stocks, nor did I, you know, and it was, it was just a good, cool little experience, you know, um, but that was the highlight of my, my time in, in grad school. But um, at the end of the day, it did open up the doors. I finally got a chance to break in at a big institutional shop here in Charlotte. Uh, they were, you know, called Babson Capital. Now it's bearings. And I got hired as a high yield credit analyst. And, you know, in that role, I ended up really fine tuning, you know, some you know, my financial modeling, you know, learn how to dissect an industry and companies, you know, put investment memos together and present them to investment committees. You know, it was a lot of work. Um, and the first time, you know, in a while that I felt like really challenged. And, you know, it, it was a great experience um, as a financial analyst. Um, now, in 2016, the opportunity emerged, you know, to go be a bond trader with an up and up electronic broker dealer here in Charlotte, too. And um, I, in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, this is actually more interesting, you know, making markets and bonds, managing risk, you know, you're clipping your bid ass spread. It sounded a lot like bookmaking. If you ask me, you know, <laughs> you're making markets in sports, you're managing action, um, managing risk, but you're clipping the juice. So I bit and I, that's where I had been up until this past de December. You know, I'm convinced I could take a bond trader and teach him how to book and vice versa for that matter. Wow. Yeah. That's the great stuff, man. Yeah. So you say now, now, you know, you say you, you, you've been there since December. What makes you, you know, what happens now? Why, why would you leave your job in December? Yeah. Well, you know, 2018, they repeal PASPA Spanky. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember being on the desk when I saw the news hit the tape, you know, on my Bloomberg terminal. Um, and I just knew it was going to be the beginning of something big, you know, just for the industry and, yeah, and for me personally, too, you know, I mean, my emotions were mixed. I was happy to know that, you know, hey, maybe all those eight years that I spent in the business would actually come to mean something. And, um, you know, things come in a full circle. Um, you know, for the longest time, I had this huge gap in my career, if you will, from like 2000, 2008, that I really never told people about because, you know, you know it, was, it was frowned upon or whatever. Um, you know, but um, I could finally kind of maybe, you know, share that and, and not be discriminated against as much. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, the bitter part reading headlines about how dangerous the offshore market was, you know, seeing folks out there pounding their chest, you know, with probably, you know, a level of arrogance that, you know, you know, I, I just, you know, really turned me off, you know, but what really hurt me many times was to see how some of my friends, you know, they were just being turned away from jobs just because they worked offshore. Listen, I, I, I took that personally because, you know, that those are my friends. Those are my family. You know, it's like a lot of good people down there. And I'm, I'm not going to say like, you know, you know, you have bad actors in every industry, you know, every industry, you know, but, you know, more times than not, the people I interacted with, the people I met, you know, were good, good, honest folks, you know, and that applies, you know, to people, you know, from, you know, the clerks to the line managers, to the bookmakers, you know, the owners of the business, you know, I, I, my interactions were always positive, man. So it just rubs me the wrong way to see the narrative out there being pitched by some folks, you know, they have their own agenda trying to get lawmakers to, you know, to, to do things, you know, anyway, 
Uh, Let me just elaborate on that because I think that's a great point. I think it's crazy how people see that, you know, somebody like you or anybody else for that matter that's worked offshore as a negative thing. Even if, even if it's, if you're trying to, you know, get a license or you're trying to work for a regulated sports book, you know, it's not like you were breaking any laws. You were just an employee. You didn't run the, you didn't own the joint. You were a native and, 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 and you lived in Costa Rica and at the time, you know, you, you know, like you said, you had 300 clerks in, in a joint. You know, yeah. it, it was a common, other than tourism, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the sportsbook industry was one of the, one of the biggest uh, uh, economy setters in Costa Rica. Just everybody oh, yeah. in the business, when you, if you spoke English, you know, you, you wanted to be in the business. So there's nothing negative about that. It's just all positive. And the people that worked in Costa Rica – whether it be Ticos or Gringos or whoever it was, these guys, the experience you have, there's no substitution for it. Right. It's invaluable. And, um, and, and, and it, it, you know, guys that have, that have seen the business that like you have seen it, um, it is just, it, it, it's, 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 it, it, it'll put so many of these other places to shame because you've seen the big action. You've understood how to manage it. You even have, you know, the financial background on top of that. So right. I, I just look at your resume and listen, I'm not opening a sports book, um, but if I was opening a sports book, you would be a prime candidate for me to want to have on my team. That's just me personally. Um, and I think it's a shame that people look at your, 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 your Costa Rican experience as a negative and not a positive. Well, listen, I, I do appreciate that certainly. And, you know, I, um, you know, I, I, I certainly would want to, um, you know, be, you know, something, I would want to bring something of value to the table. And you're right, a lot of people would bring a lot of things to the table. Um, but there's just this apprehension or, you know, they just this unwillingness to talk. I, I think you could learn, you know, there, you know, a lot of these foreign operators coming over, you know, they've got great experience in other parts of the world. And, you know, I respect what they do in other parts of the world. I mean, I've seen their financial statements of the publicly traded ones and I see how much cash they generate. And I see, you know, what, what their profitability and all that jazz, you know, I mean, I know how to read that stuff, but um, at the same time, you know, there's this learning curve element that, you know, you, you can't teach experience. You're right. You know, the guys down in Costa Rica or offshore, wherever they may be that are plugged in, you know, to the flow of things and they could read the Don Best screen better than anyone over there, probably, you know, I, I mean, I would, I would think, you know, you know, there's a lot to be had from both sides of the pond. If, you know, there was more willingness to work with each other and then the technology side of thing too, you know, this is something that I feel like, you know, technology coming over from other markets is, you know, it wasn't designed with the U S in mind. Okay. Whether I, 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 when, I don't think it's designed with, you know, limiting somebody to $5 and 27 cents. I don't understand how that's designed for humans in mind. Like <laughs> not even us. What kind of shit is that? Yeah. I, you know, for someone who, you know, when you're talking, you know, here I was, you know, booking, we were booking sharks for 10, 20, hundred thousand, whatever it might've been. And, and to see that, you know, it's just, it's very, I'm just not used to seeing that. And I, I kind of, I mean, I saw a few weeks ago, there was a tweet about, you know, a guy wanting to bet an NFL side, a side on the NFL, they limited him to like a dollar or whatever it was. And, 
you know, if you have any chance of making your money back from a sharp who beat you elsewhere, <laughs> you take that bet on an NFL side. I mean, you book God on an NFL side. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, that's just, you know, the way I see it, you know. But, you know, they, they, they have their objectives. They, they have their way of wanting to do things. I don't necessarily agree with it, you know. And, I mean, we could – that could be a conversation for another time. But you asked me what was – you know, why I left my job in December. I want to answer that um, because I did announce it to the world on Twitter and on LinkedIn back then that, you know, I was, I was going to jump in head first to the industry. Listen, it was a confluence of things. There was a lack of volatility in the bond market, um, you know, for the past three years. And, um, you know, I felt like, you know, organizations changed too. And that, you know, I was at a company that I just didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was a place for me anymore. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm subject to a one-year non-compete. I can't trade bonds really for anyone else. Um, and, and I felt that maybe, you know, it was time to get the clock ticking. And um, now on top of all of that, you know, the sports industry is booming um, and, you know, I care about it and, you know, it's hard to ignore for someone like me. And I just saw the opportunity maybe to go out there and I have a partner down in Costa Rica. He's a programmer and he's been building software and you know, he can roll out of bed and build stuff, you know, and he's got his own code. It's, it's, it's his um, that he's developed over the course of his career. And I thought maybe we could shop this around, you know, and put it in front of some people, you know, cause this is stuff that was made with the U S in mind. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a square peg and, you know, and it fits in a square hole, that kind of a thing. Um, and I also thought that maybe doing some consulting on the side, you know, I felt like there was a lot of folks out there who are just only starting to learn about the business you know, and how it works. And I thought, you know, speaking both languages, that of a former operator and, you know, the financial, you know, uh, skills that I've developed in the past 12 years, I thought that maybe I could, you know, be of assistance. Um, but, you know, obviously with COVID, you know, it's been a big setback. Um, that was not part of the plan. And um, right now everything's kind of on standstill. And the focus right now is just getting the kids through school and helping them out as best I can. And, you know, we'll see what the future holds. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I guess a free agent, if you will. I'm always open and to entertaining ideas and opportunities, but um, that's kind of why I left. Yeah. Well, listen, I wish you all the best in the future, Fonz. Um, I, I think that, um, that you would be an invaluable asset to anybody in the business. And um, I, I think that you bring such a unique perspective um, to this business and, and you've seen and done so much, not just in, 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 in the sports betting and in the, in the bookmaking business, but also on the financial side. And I think that combination is pretty lethal, if you ask me. Yeah. Before we close, Fonz, I always ask you know, my guests, the name of the podcast is called Be Better Betters. If you could give one bit of advice on – you know, for the listeners to become a better, better, given all your experience and what you've seen in the business, what would that be? You know, well, well, for one, um, I don't think I, I don't know if I mentioned this at all, but you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't really bet myself. Um, you know, and then, you know, I don't consider myself to be an odds maker. Um, you know, and then many times it's a stretch to even consider myself having been a bookmaker. You know, that was a title I always reserved, you know, for guys like mumbles or the, or the bosses and those kinds of things, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, and having learned this business um, and, and speaking to a lot of folks who bet, obviously, you know, um, and I'm pretty sure someone has said this at the end of the day, you know, whether you're a sharp or a wreck, 
you know, you, you just want to have some a sense of discipline. You know, I think bankroll, managing your bankroll properly is is always, you know, absolutely critical. You know, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, live to, you know, you know, you want to live another day, so to speak. You know, and the thing um that um you know, recreational betters out there, I think or you know, if you're betting to the point where it's just creating all this angst for you and you're not enjoying it, you know, maybe you just need to, you know, pull back. You know, it's not supposed to be about that, you know, for some people out there. Now, pros, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, you guys know what you're doing. But um, I want this industry to succeed, Spanky. You know, I want it to be sustainable. I want it, you know, you know, I don't see the purpose in, in beating people to a pulp that much quicker. You know, it's, it's it, to me, that's just self-defeating at the end of the day you know if people win you know or if you if you don't beat them as bad well guess what you know they end up coming back to play more you know and there, there, there's this optimum place to be you know it's like a it's a curve of diminishing returns if you will and you got to strike that balance but yeah for folks just you know manage your bankroll and i will say it takes a lot of work to, to find your edges I, I i've learned this you know by speaking to guys like you and you know it you got to put the work in, um, you know, if, if, if you want to beat the bookmaker, you know, and that's not an easy feat. Um, one thing I, one last thing I just want to say, Spanky, listen, well, first of all, you know, I want to thank you for having me on, you know, and, um, yeah, I just want to leave folks with the message here that, you know, I think this term real bookmakers, real American bookmakers has been thrown out there many times, you know, and, and I just want to want to say that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, Folks like Mumbles, you know, and, and some of the founding fathers of the industry, guys running around for a long time, running their business on credit, you know, that were willing to book all kinds of people. It wasn't, you know, you know, their ability and willingness to book was there. But at the end of the day, all their imperfections, you know, is what made them real bookmakers. You know, were they leaving money at the table at times? Probably, you know, by today's standards. But that's what made them perfect, Spanky. In many ways, you know, these guys, um, you know, they, they, they just had this great sense for the business. They didn't need to be looking at KPIs and performance metrics and, you know, dialing the distance to the sun and the moon to figure out what the line should be. And we should limit this person, this or that, you know, no, these guys were just, you know, these guys were just booking bets, um, you know, moving the lines and they weren't sleeping at the wheel. And that's the mantra that, you know, was passed on to me, book a bet, move the line, don't sleep at the wheel. You know, to me, it wasn't rocket science. You know, a lot of people want to construe it as such, but you know, 11 is bigger than 10 at the end of the day. And that's not going to change. I love it. Well said. Great way to end Fonz. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, sir. Another fun episode of be better, betters. Alfonso Straffen been in the game for a while, booked me down in Costa Rica for a little bit, and he's been around the block, real sharp guy, and um, I hope he lands somewhere that could appreciate his talent, because he really is a great guy, and he's very talented, and he's very smart. Thanks so much for the time, until next time.